We're going to read Luke 15, 11 to 32. It's on page 1048 in the Church Bibles. Um, okay, so Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Hello again. Yeah, so I'm Joel. I'm the international student worker at Grace Church. So my wife and I have been part of Grace Church since 2017. And uh, yeah, uh, I, we have been involved with MIO in one way or another uh, over the past six years. So it's really great to have all the MIO team here. To the MIO team, welcome to Grace Church. MIO, as it stands, uh, for Manchester International Outreach, as Pete mentioned, and every year the aim is to show hospitality, to show welcome, but also to share the gospel with the internationals who are interested in hearing about Jesus Christ. And everyone involved in cross-cultural evangelism is fully aware that while the gospel message of God's finished work on the cross remains unchanged, the way you package the gospel message is crucial and should be tailored to the person that you are reaching out to. It is about starting at what, where they are 
at their faith journey, something that they can identify with and align with their worldview, and not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. A simple illustration, maybe not perfect, is like having chicken on your lunch menu. The protein or star of the dish is chicken. That remains unchanged, but the way you present your chicken dish matters. If you, if you were to have a lunch with an European, preparing or ordering a chicken sandwich probably sounds great, but if you were to have lunch with an Indian like me, probably preparing a chicken curry dish would much more resonate with me. You know, that is why I hope to walk us through the series of sermons called the 3D Gospel, with the aim of looking at the gospel message through the lens of different cultures. And ultimately, the aim is to celebrate Christ as the Lord of all nations. Before we go into the passage today, I think it is important to spend the next five minutes understanding about the parallel global realities that we have in society today. Christian missiologists have identified three major cultures, which you can see on the screen. The first is what most of us would be familiar with, the guilt-righteousness culture, primarily embraced by Western countries who are generally more individualistic with a great Christian heritage. The second is the shame and honor culture, mainly found in the Middle Eastern countries and Asia, which includes the two largest populated countries in the world. It is important to note that they are very collectivistic in, the, in, in terms of social structure. Last but not least, uh, we have the fear power culture, mainly embraced by the cultures in the global south and tribal people groups around the world, mainly driven by the animistic social culture, social structure. These three types of cultures are like group personalities defining how people view the world, which also shapes their worldviews, ethics, identity, and very importantly, their notion of salvation. So the next slide uh, shows the difference between two of the three cultures. The guilt-righteousness-based culture is defined by rules and laws, with your internal conscience driving your behavior. The shame-honor culture, on the other hand, is defined by relationships and roles in the society, and whatever you do or say is largely influenced by your community. When someone does something wrong, a guilt-based culture tends to focus on the wrongdoing, the action, and the transgressor is usually held accountable for his or her actions, with forgiveness being the ultimate means of resolution. The, sh the shame and honor culture is just the opposite. When someone does something wrong, it's not the wrongdoing, but the person is seen as the core problem, for he or she brings shame to the entire community. Oftentimes, the only way to rectify the problem is to get rid of the person, with restoration viewed as the ultimate means of resolution. This is why when we hear stories of individuals persecuted and killed for their Christian faith from countries where the whole family follow a certain religion, it may be difficult for us to understand the rationale behind it, but by understanding their worldview and what values actually shape them, it helps us to put things in perspective. So one uh, example I would like to quote is from the Boston 
marathon bombing that happened in 2013. The suspect's uncle was interviewed on public TV, and interestingly, the uh, uncle said of this suspect, and I quote, you put a shame on our entire family. You put a shame on our entire ethnic community. And I, that's what he said. And as Americans in the world reel from the tragedy of the loss and are shocked by, the, by an individual's terrorist act, the uncle bemoans his people's shame. While the, while the guilt, shame, fear culture serve as a framework for contextualizing the gospel and helping our friends from another culture acquire a full understanding of the gospel, we must remember that the Bible is one narrative in which the theme of forgiveness, honor, and power are all woven together. Our role as Christians is not to change the gospel, but help our international friends appreciate the gospel through their cultural lenses. With that in mind, I would like to spend the next few weeks looking at different Bible stories, not from the lenses of the Western guilt-righteousness perspective, but from the lenses of another culture. And today we are going to focus on the shame and honor perspective. So sociologists and anthropologists have long recognized that first century Israel was based on shame and honor. So Kenneth Bailey and Tim Keller or some other Christian pastor theologians who have done a lot of research to unpack the shame and honor elements from today's passage. And let me give a bit of context to this passage. There was a lot of excitement when Jesus started his earthly ministry. People in Israel were looking for the Messiah, God's promised king, to come and establish his kingdom forever. Jesus said he is the Messiah and started welcoming people to, the, to, to be part of his kingdom. But the kind of people he was accepting brought a lot of opposition from Jewish leaders. So uh, at the start of uh, Luke chapter 15, we read from verse 11, but at the, from the start, if you look at it, Jesus has welcomed tax collectors and was having a party along with a community of sinners. Sinners have a reputation of bringing shame on God, and Pharisees and the teachers of the law have a reputation of bringing honor to God in the Jewish society. Christ is eating with sinners, which has evoked a murmuring from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and you see in verse 2, they say, this man, that's Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eating together in Middle Eastern culture means you're welcome and offer friendship to them. The tax collectors have not carried out their religious duties. They are to be treated as second class or ostracized from religious communities. On what merit are they being honored, a place in Jesus' kingdom? To that question, Jesus goes on to tell a set of three stories, which are all interconnected, to give an answer to, uh, to their question. This story of the prodigal son comes as a follow-up to two other stories about things that are lost. So firstly, there is a lost sheep, then there is a lost coin, now a lost son. The first two stories would have been easy to accept for Jewish readers. A sheep is lost in a faraway land, and then it is being found. Then there is a coin that is lost at home, and it's being found. And it's a no-brainer uh, for the first century Jewish readers that when you found something that is precious to you, and 
you, you ought to obviously celebrate it. However, the third story that was read is a very radical story. The younger son has brought shame on the family and the Jewish community. Father had to think how to punish him and restore the family's honor. What, is, what does he do? We will look uh, in today's passage based on two scenarios. So we have the, uh, to start with, we have a rebellious sinner versus a relational father. Then we have the religious sinner and the relational father. So the scene one is the rebellious sinner and the relational father. So the, start, the story starts with the youngest son coming and asking his dad for a share of property. Now, if you are from the West, this might be viewed as something perfectly legitimate and rational, but that's not the case for many Eastern cultures and certainly not for the first century Middle Eastern culture. The crowd listening to Jesus' narrative would have been shocked with what Jesus just said for the following reasons. One, the, his request for an early inheritance reveals a breathtaking insolence to an honorable person in the society. People in ancient culture serve their parents faithfully till old age and wait for the pa parents to willingly bless the children with their inheritance. The younger son is in effect saying, in my eyes, dad, you are already dead. Give me my share of inheritance. To act as though you wish your dad is dead is an act of dishonor. Secondly, Tim Keller says, in agrarian cultures like the first century Israel, Family honor is enhanced or decreased by the share of land that belongs to the family in the village. The son knows what to do to honor his family. What does he do? He just does, does the opposite. Now, the youngest son represents the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was having a meal with when he, when he told the story. I'm sure by now the crowd would have been hanging on to every Jesus' word. What would the father's response be to this rebellious son? The expected response would be to disown the son, uh, to restore the honor of the family. The younger son was, has brought shame not only on the father, but the entire family and the Jewish community. Instead, the father quietly goes and he gathers the title documents from the home, and instead of disowning his son by taking away his inheritance, he gave his son what he asked for. In doing so, the father willingly bore shame upon himself. He knew the whole village would be gossiping about him, yet he endured public disgrace to maintain his relationship with his son. In the passage, the younger son goes out and sells his share. No Jew in that village would have dared to quickly make a transaction with a land so shamefully acquired. But what they would have done is they would have started a lengthy conversation with the younger son to repent and bring honor to his family. So probably the son would have sold the property to a Gentile, which again is an unspeakable taboo, and everyone would have hated him for it. He would have further ruined its family's reputation and honor in the society. We all know what happened after that. Off we went, thinking that he was going to have the best life ever. The younger son continues to squander all his money and found himself losing everything. And the famine strikes, and, all, and he loses all dignity even to be living as a human, and he just thinks about surviving. He sets out with hopes of freedom and success, but ends up 
in slavery with another master, and he's scavenging in a pig's pen. At this point, I would like to do a short survey. In your opinion, why was the son hungry? If Frank could flick to the next slide, you will have three choices. A, because the younger son squandered all his money. B, because no one helped him in the community. Or C, there was a severe famine. You could think of an answer in your mind. It is not a trick question. The answer actually depends on who you're asking. Mark Powell, an American professor of the New Testament, did a survey among his seminary students from the USA, Russia, and Tanzania. Powell shows how Western readers typically see the story in terms of individual wastefulness and sinful living. The Russians, on the other hand, felt that it was because the famine hit the, uh, hit the country that this, uh, this person went hungry. While, uh, while the students from a more collectivistic culture like the Tanzanians saw that the society is a problem. No one really gave this boy anything to eat. So shocking. Uh, and they thought that's central to the storyline. And all these were taken from within the text, and they are legitimate. The key is, what cultural lenses do you use while reading a Bible passage? I find this to be very true. Every Friday Bible, every Friday Bible study that we run with internationals, I find this to be very true. Uh, always uh, the internationals come up with, uh, with thoughts and insights which I've never thought about before, and the way I've never looked at it when I look at a Bible passage. It is important to know how people from different cultures and faith backgrounds will look at a Bible passage, but it is also good to be aware of Bible's big narrative. The Bible's big narrative is that humans who dishonor and cut themselves off from God will ultimately be left disillusioned and face drastic consequences. We can learn that by experience, but it is far better to learn from examples in the Bible. The younger son is one of those examples. If you're not a Christian, and you're not, and, or maybe if you're part of the church and starting to think about drifting away from God and from Christian community, what are you hoping your life will work out to be in the future? Look at, what, look at how it worked out for the younger son. At least the good thing is, he came to his senses. He saw more goodness in his father, who represents God, than his current master. He went home in filthy rags, and he was empty-handed. Everyone in this part of the world knows that you always return home with presents for the whole family. Returning empty-handed is humiliating and is shameful. Already he has brought a lot of shame on his family. Now he has nothing to offer, but he is ready to make his walk back, having confidence in his father's goodness. Now, how will the father in a shame and honor culture respond to a son coming back uh, who has brought shame on the family. The Guardian newspaper mentions, even in UK, uh, last year, 2022, one person was killed every month in the name of honor. There were around 17,000 reported incidents of honor-based abuses 
within Hona-based communities, even in UK. In general, in Hona-based communities, the father is the one who delivers severe punishment to those who bring shame on the family. No one wants a child who had brought shame on their family fall in the hands of the father. So even in the first century Israel, they, there were cut-off ceremonies at the edge of the village called Karet to humiliate and chase the children who had brought shame upon their family and their communities. If the children happen to get past the community, then the mother or the sibling will come out of the house running and they will chase the child away from the village. In the first century Middle Eastern culture, an honorable, dignified man of status would not come out beyond the entrance of the house. He waits for people to come to him, people obliged to it to bestow honor. However, no one wants children who have shamed their family to go and meet the father in their house. Communities and family members strive to protect people from facing serious negative consequences from the father. In this passage, there is a twist. No Jewish person hearing the story from Jesus would have expected it. You see, the father is the one deeply concerned about the son not facing shame, insult, and punishment in the community. The Bible says while the younger son was still a long way off, even when he comes at the edge of the village, the father is the one who sees him and, fe and feels compassion, and he runs and embraces and kisses his son. You could almost imagine the orchestra playing the chariots of fire at this point, and out ran the father in slow motion, just like the famous slow motion running scene on West Sands at St. Andrews. The whole village was watching in shock. The attention now was on the father. But what do we see here? Not only he came out of the house, he ran. And as if it was not shocking enough, he ran in public, hitching up his Middle Eastern long flowing tunic so that he, he wouldn't trip. By doing so, he was showing his bare legs. And in that culture, it was humiliating and shameful for a dignified man to show his bare legs. The father gave his son a big hug and obviously got some of the pig filth on him. And the father did it with joy. He endured shame to reconcile the shamed. He did it because he felt compassion. The Greek word used in verse 20 for compassion literally means intestines. Because the idea in Greek culture is that the compassion is, when you have compassion on someone, there is a reaction in your inner being, and your insides are getting tight. Before the villagers and the elder brother could act to shame the younger son, the father has already taken an initiative to welcome him back. The younger son tries to recite the repentance speech he has memorized. However, the father has taken every initiative to do everything to restore the son back in the family and in the community. As we saw earlier, it's not forgiveness, but restoration in the community that is the final resolution in honor-based honor -based communities. There was a robe put on him, ring in his finger, and sandal on his feet to show the villagers that the rebellious son was accepted as uh, rebellious son was accepted as his own son. He was now clothed with honor, and the shame was covered. An end calf was sacrificed, and the party was organized with the whole village invited to join. 
What the father did spoke volumes. It was sending a clear message back to the whole community. This is my son whom I love unconditionally. He should not be known as a rebellious son anymore. His identity as my son has been restored. He is my son. He cannot be a second-class citizen in this community. Please treat him with honor. It's a clear message Jesus also sends to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were listening to Jesus. Jesus saying, God's Messiah has accepted the tax collectors and sinners. You dare not look, at, look down on them. Uh, it, it is something Christians uh, ought to reflect on as well. Jesus is a honor for every believer you get to meet in life. No one should feel second-class citizen. We should proactively seek to honor one another above ourselves to bestow honor on Jesus. Then comes the second scenario, a reckless sinner, oh sorry, a religious sinner versus a relational father. Now back to the story. Just when you thought this was a happily ever after story, in comes the elder brothers and the scene too. The older brother probably heard the music which uh, while he was working hard in the fields, he goes back to the village and to his horror found out that his, what his father has done. He is so furious. Since the younger son has left, all this while he has been working hard to maintain his family honor. He was supposed to be the star of the family, the deserving one. Now he sees that's not the case. He's so furious that his father has fully restored and honored the status of his undeserving brother. The eldest child in the family will always be there to represent the family and show hospitality and on their family's behalf whenever there is a family event. But in this passage, we see the eldest son decides to not join the celebration. Once again, the villagers watch as a son again dishonors his father. For the second time, the father has to shamefully walk out of his house to meet his son. Again, the father embraced shame in front of the villagers. He pleaded with his son. Some translation even use the word beg. The elder son responds in verse 29 and 30. He completely disassociates himself from the father and his brother. You only use my friends, only with the friends he associates himself. And in the two verses we can see there is a lot of anger, there is a lot of bitterness, there is a lot of superiority, and there is no assurance of the father's love. The father continues to plead and beg for the elder son to join the party. He starts by saying in verse 31, my son. The father is still associating himself with his elder son and embracing shame to welcome him. He continues, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And with that, the curtain drew to a close. What happened to the elder son? What was his response? There was a reason why there was no ending. This was a parable that Jesus told, which served as an invitation and a challenge to the audience. Just to remind ourselves again, who was the audience? It comprised of the Pharisees and the teachers of the Old Testament law. This parable was a response to their complaint. 
that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees try to take a jab at Jesus and to shame him, but he counters with this parable. The audience were no longer passive spectators. They are now active participants in the story. To the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Jesus represents the radical, shame-enduring, honor-infusing love of the Father. Jesus comes to them, pursues them, invites them, and begs them to participate in the Feast of Honor. And by doing so, they, they need to acknowledge that all the righteous way of life that they have lived according to the Jewish laws and all the religious practice they have practiced in public to, to have a reputation in the community, how much does it worth? It worth nothing to Jesus. It requires Jesus to restore that identity and honor. Jesus was willing to face shame by taking, um, by reaching out to the elder brother in the story. And here we see he's also reaching out to the Pharisees and the uh, teachers of the law. When we talk about the shame that Jesus endured, we also need to talk about the shameful walk he took towards the cross. Um, the way he was mocked and ridiculed and being uh, stripped naked and the way he was put to death shamefully on a Roman cross was all done so that there might be a way for the tax collectors and the sinners, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and even for us today, for all those who sin in the eyes of God and, sh and bring shame on him. Jesus wants to honor each and everyone who goes to him and asks for help. And he wants to clothe each and every one of us with a robe of righteousness and welcome him in the community he is building on earth and on heaven. In response to today's story, I would like us to think about two things. Firstly, our response. Who do you identify with in this story? Do you think you're like the rebellious son or rebellious sinner? who doesn't want anything to do with God, or do you identify with the religious sinner, who are very happy to practice all the religious activities week, week in and week out, or do you identify with both? Maybe if you are like a, re a religious or a rebellious sinner who has turned away from God and struggling with life, remember the Father's love, His reckless love, the love that brings restoration and honor in His community that he is building. Maybe some of us are like the religious sinner. We have been good Christians our entire life, but deep down, we know that we are still insecure and we are not sure whether our good works are ever going to be good enough for God. The answer is, it is not about us. It is about the Father's love, his unconditional love, and the love that gave Jesus for us to be shamed and the love that brings confidence and restoration in Jesus' kingdom. Secondly, I would like to think about, I would like us to think about how do we package the gospel message to our friends from another culture? How do we help them to understand the reckless, redemptive love of God through their cultural lenses? It is interesting to note that whenever we study the parable together with our East Asian friends, they would often point out that 
the oldest son was really the hero in this story. Many of them are able to identify with the older son. They were always doing the right thing. Yet there was a void in them. The relationship with their father or parents were not necessarily one that was filled with joy and love and good memories. A lot of them shared that the emphasis in their father-child or the parent-child relationship was just to do well, to excel, to make their parents proud, and of course to bring honor to their family name. And it goes the same for majority of the religions in the world. The focus is to do good with the hope that your good is good enough for God and you are accepted in heaven. In some religions, how much good you, you do will also even affect what you will be born in your afterlife. Many people struggle with this. They know in their subconsciousness that they are never good enough for God and they often feel lost and insecure to all those who are lost and feel insecure. This is the Christian gospel message that we share, that Jesus is always enough for us. Jesus has already paid the price for us, once for all, once and for all, and he is open to welcome you with an open hand. He is like the Father. He can come running to you even today to embrace you, to kiss you, and to say, welcome home. Do you want a place in his kingdom? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for welcoming us home. Help us to celebrate your goodness and enable us to proclaim your good news to those around us so many can know how they can come home to a loving Father. Thank you for being the God of all nations and that people from every tongue, tribe, and nations can worship you. Thank you for taking up the curse and our shame on the cross so that we could have honor and restoration in a community that will soon be declared where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there singing your praises. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you more and about your kingdom more. And we pray for all our friends who are still on a journey seeking for the one true God. May you reveal yourself to them, the loving Father who is still willing to welcome us home. Amen.